0: Hi everyone, it's Warren Schulberg and welcome to a new episode of Retail Watch. It's a podcast where I talk to folks who actually know what's going on in the retail world and today we've got somebody who really knows the inside of the business. It's Elaine Hughes, she's the chief headhunter for EAUs, which is a great search firm. And she's got some insights into the the job market, what's going on with labor, and why what's happening now ain't going away anytime soon. So we'll get right with Elaine in a minute. But you know how these things work. Here's a word from our sponsor first. This podcast is brought to you by House of Roll, the maker of handcrafted kitchen and bathroom fixtures. House of Roll believes distinctive stories are what makes life exceptional and they pursue the discovery of time-honored craft to open the door to stories unlike any other. Stories of place and providence. Stories of dedication and passion. Stories of artistry and heritage. House of Roll seeks the touch of the artisan and traditional methods of craft to create kitchen and bath collections of modern innovation, imagination, and unique beauty. They see the potential in stone and clay, brass and steel. The highest quality materials are poured and casted, glazed and fired, and transformed into the finest of fixtures. Hauserol demands the most of advanced modern engineering to ensure the highest performance and the best the design world has to offer. Through their collection of brands you will find the countless stories in every detail. And the closer you look, the more you will see the details of your own story, a story of a life well-crafted. So explore more at House of Roll, that's H-O-U-S-E-O-F-R-O-H-L.com. Labor, well, it's a labor of love for Elaine Hughes, who is no doubt among the most well-known, respected, and let's not forget most successful executive recruiters and consultants in the retail, home, and fashion sector. She started her firm, EAUs, in 1991, and for four decades since, has worked with a virtual who's who of the industry, from major retailers like J.C. JCPenney, Dick Sporting Goods, and Ann Taylor, to home companies like West Point Springs and Hunter Douglas, all the way to apparel labels such as Michael Kors, Liz Claiborne, and Tori Birch. I've known Elaine for much of both of our careers, and I have to tell you, if I need to know what's going on out there, I find very few people as plugged into the industry as she is. Uh, in 2018, uh, the big national search firm, Solomon Page acquired and company, and today she's part of that $200 million firm, but trust me, as plugged in as ever. So I thought she'd be a terrific person to help us understand the job and labor market out there. So welcome, Elaine, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Warren. Okay, so the labor market right now is as crazy as I think we've probably ever seen in modern times. What do you make of it, uh, particularly the huge help wanted situations in retail and other industries?
1: Well, what I think is um, the labor issue that we're experiencing now was truly enhanced at a certain level, not the executive level, but at the lower levels by the government assistance program that was used to shore people up during COVID. However, I think somebody in Washington is a little delusional and must think they're channeling Franklin Roosevelt during the Great Depression (laughs) um, and not realizing that those programs were enhanced and jobs were created in exchange for wages, not just with giving the money out. So I think there is not a one-size-fits-all situation. I think most importantly, when you see the want ads or you see the signs in front of retail stores saying, we're hiring, that store-level person that position needs to be reevaluated from a financial situation. It's not just about minimum wage. It's going to be about incentives. If you're on the store floor, you're helping to sell product. Well, major stores think about that. Human resource departments think about that and think about how to incentivize that person. The second thing that needs to be done is those individuals that are on the sales floor should start out, almost as a training program for greater roles within the organization. And that needs to be defined. Once that is done, you're going to start to attract talent.
0: So the, the major retailers really don't have training programs like they used to. I mean, the legendary A&S Buyers Program, those don't exist anymore, right?
1: They haven't existed since about 1985. Somebody told me a long time ago when I first started recruiting in the mid 80s, one of the problems with retail is the senior roles in the c-suite were taken over by accountants and not the merchants and the operators that used to have those roles so everything was equated with numbers and that's not what retail is retail buying product is an experience doesn't matter what the product is there has to be some experience to it and people can't just be parachuted into a company To know what to do they need to have some kind of training right now in the the labor shortage is not at the c-suite it's not really at the vp level there are a lot of vp candidates available right now with the downsizing of companies let's say like an asena and we've seen where people from the apparel world have been transferred into the home world whether it's an andy owen running herman miller spent her career at The Gap, Uh, the gal that's running Serena and Lily. These are all apparel people. But so was Gary Friedman, who, who basically invented restoration hardware. There's a blend. It's that merchant experience. But getting back to companies that are starving for salary levels between maybe 35, 40,000 and even up to 75,000. It's a matter of taking a look at your business model and understanding how to attract people. And people are attracted by what I would say is incentives, an educational challenge in the job, and good leadership.
0: So this, as you said, this is not just about minimum wages. Uh, No. And so the people who say we don't have a labor problem, we have a wage problem. I mean, is that the way to look at it, that people just aren't being paid enough and that's why they're not coming back to the job market?
1: Well, let's say the minimum wage at McDonald's goes up to $20 an hour for the gal or the guy that is flipping the hamburger. Well, what about the manager of the store that's responsible for that store's P&L? that person is also gonna say, excuse me, what about my salary level? Again, I don't think it's a one size fits all. I also think that the increase in the minimum wage, we have to look at things state by state. The cost of living in Mississippi is different than the cost of living in New York. So the minimum wage affects somebody in New York different than it does in Mississippi. Plus, if the minimum wage is advanced even more, then what is that going to do to the small entrepreneur? Because at some point, they may not be able to afford help. And um, that would deter a level of entrepreneurialism that I think has been an engine in this country for years. So it's something to be thought about and debated. But I don't think that there is one answer, and that answer is not necessarily increasing the minimum wage. Is this a short-term issue or you think
0: this is a a seminal change in employment practices?
1: Oh, I I think the paradigm is changing for us right now in a lot of ways. There was a a wonderful colleague within the uh, Fairchild system called Clara Hancocks who has passed away. And in 1989, it was one of the first times I was ever interviewed by the press. And the title of the uh, article was Innovate or Die hmm and uh that was that was the bell tone back then businesses need courage and courage is is not the absence of fear we feel a fear about profitability we fear about um whoever our investors are and are we going to be making our numbers there's no industry that runs on that momentum other than retail we have these quarterly reviews yet it takes a year for a trend to come to fruition from the time you, you conceptualize it to production. And we need to adapt to that. So we need to adapt to that in the hiring of people. We need to adapt to that in how we determine what the wages are. And we truly need to think about incentives for people. We have to take away what I say is an entitlement salary level. I think as a, as, a, as a VP to go in at 225, 275 in a role, oh, well, that's terrific, but tell me what you did in the prior 10 years. Where were the accomplishments and how were you rewarded for those accomplishments?
0: Great questions that are probably hardly ever asked. So um, the other big change I think we've seen in the labor market since uh, pandemic is obviously the whole work from home and and remote work situation. You know, I talked to somebody who said, um, stop calling it uh, work from home and just call it work because (laughs) this is the way it's going to be. You think this is a permanent part of the American labor scene? If there is a hybrid solution,
1: what's it going to be? Yes, the remote work environment is going to uh, be permanent i think the the only worry i have is the same worry i have with the generation that grew up with the cell phone and emails and text nobody is extemporaneously communicating i went to a uh, a forum recently where um, a local politician got up to speak and i was enamored by his ability not to talk politics, but to just to speak to the audience extemporaneously. And I said, the younger generation can't do that. When you are in an office situation and you have a supervisor walk in and stops in your office, starts talking to you, you don't have notes. You have to extemporaneously be able to talk about what you're doing, whatever this person asks you. That just is not going to happen. Is frequently in remote. The other big issue is corporate culture. Warren, as you know, we would talk, you know, in ancient times about the federated culture, yep. the company culture, uh, the J. C. Penney culture, the old JCPenney culture, the old Coles culture. And how could you, as me as a recruiter, say, Am I recruiting a candidate out that is going to assimilate to this culture well? And sometimes you can recruit the most brilliant individual, but culturally they don't fit. As long as we're remote, it is going to be a challenge on culture. But I don't see any other way out of it. I believe the future is in hybrid and there are certain roles, honestly, on the back end of businesses that truly don't require somebody being in an office. And companies are going to just have to have figure out how that that model that work model looks.
0: that culture thing is really tough to get right because so many companies it's the culture that defines it, so it is uh, um, Is it impossible to create that? with a geographically diverse labor force or is there a way to do it?
1: Yes, I think there is. Um, there are companies where, you know, in the recruiting community, we've been very lucky when everybody's scrambling around saying, oh, we need a new CEO, we need this. And they contact your friendly neighborhood executive search person and we compete for the searches, whatever. But the companies that are run in the most efficient ways, have succession planning. So in order to maintain your company culture, companies will probably be doing off-sites. And instead of doing an off-site once a year, they can do off-sites quarterly. Are they expensive? Sure. you have to get people to a location. but you need to be diligent to figure out how to bring your people together. And I think that would maintain a culture, okay?
0: I think that's a, that's a great way to look at it. Uh, so I imagine it's particularly difficult uh, when you're doing these virtual interviewing, uh, which has become a de facto part of the business the past year and a half. Um, I mean, you always did some of that probably on initial stages, but it, it seems like it's much more prevalent now. So is it as effective? I mean, what gets lost in translation?
1: Some things can get lost in translation, but, you know, I have, again, four decades of experience. Zooms are here to stay. Um, Microsoft Teams is here to stay. Whatever other new technologies that's going to come up is here to stay. And, frankly, I like it because there's a level of convenience to it. And if you have the clarity, as I see you right now in this conversation and you see me, from my own experience, I have the ability to get behind somebody's head. I get behind the head, not in front of the head, <laughs> and start to understand through a level of personalization in my uh, conversation, what makes that person tick? And then we go into what I would call more the academics of what they've done and what they've accomplished. But it depends on the interviewer. Again, the challenge today is a lot of corporations have internal talent acquisition. I am definitely a part of that. I set that up in 1997 for the Liz Claiborne Corporation, which at that time was growing up to about $5 billion dollars a year in sales volume. And there was a level, they didn't need to pay fees. They could amass a database and have five, six, seven recruiters. So now every company has it. The problem is, is most of the people that are in talent acquisition, they're younger, um, they don't have the experience of understanding what it means to come out of certain environments, what you really know, what you don't know. And um, they're making judgments on one-dimensional pieces of paper. And this is not great. Now, there is a volume of time. You know, you you put an ad in LinkedIn, you get 500 resumes. You're going to have to go through them. But you need those resumes visualize by some with somebody or group of people with experience in it and then decide who you're going to pursue as a candidate but this is the way that the world is going to be we're going to be doing it via zoom i think the bigger challenge is getting beyond that piece of paper and finding cuz that's where the gems are you know that's that's where the next great talents are
0: so even as we start traveling and and getting out in the world again The virtual interviewing process will remain. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, I've talked to companies that said I've hired people who I've never met. So is that last interview for an important position going to be in person?
1: That is the reality going forward. I did a CEO search last year in the middle of COVID and um, the private equity guys involved were very concerned about getting in a room with the candidate and I said you physically have to see the person at this level and uh, they wound up meeting in a park
0: wow okay
1: so and the candidate was willing and they met they kind of converged over a big picnic table you know uh, all on the side so they were more than six feet apart and they they made a great hire but they, they appreciated me. I was, I was pushing and shoving on that because it's too high level of a job. If it was a VP level, you'd say fine, but not when it comes to a CEO.
0: So the person got the job. Yes. Okay. <laughs> We're taking a quick break to remind designers to visit Houseofroll.com and explore the complete portfolio of luxury kitchen and bath collections. Quality and beauty are inherent in every detail and the range of modern, traditional, and contemporary styles across five different brands offers something for every discerning taste. Each piece is a story of place and providence, dedication and passion. A story of design, artistry, and heritage. Their story becomes yours. The story of a life well crafted. Discover more at houseofrole.com. Talking a little bit more specifically about the home sector, in my mind, the home furnishings business has got a pretty rotten track record in attracting younger talent. What should it be doing to resolve that problem and and make sure people who are entering the job market, good candidates, are thinking about furniture and dishes and sheets and towels? as opposed to tech and somewhat sexier uh, businesses.
1: I have for many years sat on the Dolan board at Fairfield University, which is a major business school in this country. And I have certainly been promoting to everybody the need to communicate with students that particularly those that they don't have a natural tendency towards pure finance or pure tech, but want the combination of both, that they understand what's required to monetize, but they can have their creative interests fulfilled. And uh, the retail business could do that. And I think even more importantly, manufacturing can. But those conversations and presentations have to go on at the colleges. You know, we, we have had a push on uh, diversity hiring. And th- this is a conversation that is, is just, it's, it's too old. Why don't you go to the universities where you have a larger minority population and promote to these young people what the opportunities there and invite them on your corporate campus to come and see what the environment is, what's going on. And get them to fall in love with the business. Anybody that I have interviewed who I look at their undergraduate degrees in political science, French, art education, me, and say, you know, now you're the president of such and such company. How did this happen? I had an internship. You know, those of them that came out of school, uh, let's say, in the 1987, that mini-recession. They came out, nobody was hiring, it was, it was not a good time and they wound up getting a job on the floor of the gap or going to work for a Tiffany's or going to work for a Crate and Barrel or a Williams-Sonoma and they began to fall in love. They worked around the right people and they began to fall in love with product, with consumer interaction and with the onset of constant creativity that stimulates these businesses. So you don't know. It's sort of, I, I use a real pedestrian phrase. It's like going to a, a bar mitzvah or a wedding or some big event where there's a lot of food and you taste different things. You know, people <laughs> tell you, oh, caviar, oh, it's so wonderful, it's salty fish eggs, you know. But you're not in, the, you're, at least you have a chance to in, in try it. And every student in college is not consumed or, with getting out there and being the next Bill Gates or Jeff Bezos. I think one of the most inspiring things I have seen in the last 24 hours was last night's 60 Minutes story on the architectural firm Moss based out of Massachusetts. And the story of those two entrepreneurs and the homes they're building and what they're doing now after what they've accomplished in Rwanda, And now what they are accomplishing in Poughkeepsie, New York, is incredible. And it is a story of, of again, a student, smart, Harvard, but this guy, I don't know, he's like an English lit major or something, and through some events in his life became enamored with architecture and has built this company, but also with purpose. And I see the home business as a venue to purpose. I'm not saying more people shouldn't be going in their merchandising sweaters. But I see that there is more interest with these the current generation, the generation after, and the generation before that. They want purpose as as well as the enjoyment of what they're going to do, you know, 10 hours a day.
0: It's interesting that you mentioned the college outreach. Uh, You began your career some time ago with with one of the big textile mills. uh, And I remember the domestic mills always went on college campuses and were recruiting. That's just something that, again, seems to have disappeared, but it's something that
1: the home business
0: should be doing, right?
1: They should be doing it with a ferociousness, even if they have to contract with third-party individuals. I love this industry. I love the energy, the creativity. One of the industries that is very, very adamant about that recruitment is the footwear industry. They're incredible. They are incredible. And it's not just about families that are perpetrating their industry, but they actively recruit. You don't know about something until somebody exposes you to it. And the home business should do more of that. Okay, I think that's
0: a great point and, uh, I think, uh, home companies should be looking at, again at what the footwear guys were doing. I didn't realize that they were doing such a good job.
1: Well, it's a little bit like the home industry is a little bit in the dark and somebody needs to get that flashlight and shine a light on it.
0: Yeah, gonna take more than a flashlight. I think. <laughs> but, but that's just, that's just my cynical side.
1: <laughs> Lauren, i being kind, you know, how, <laughs> my reputation for being blunt. You know, This is the new and improved Elaine Hughes.
0: The kinder, gentler. Yes, yes. and we, we, we all appreciate that.
1: If you were an employee
0: looking for a job or uh, somebody out there looking, what kind of questions should you be asking? And, you know, What's the biggest mistake that a a job candidate
1: makes when they're they're being interviewed? Oh, they get romanced. They get their egos fed. Um, They get thrown a lot of money. One of the things I have said to uh, executives over the years um, is never let your back get to the wall financially. I'm not passing judgment. People have uh, financial familial responsibilities from mortgages to college tuition to whatever, taking care of elderly parents. But you need to always have that uh, scenario where you're not living up to the whatever amount of money that that you're making. You should never be greedy. When you look at a company or somebody in um, my profession calls you, I always are very concerned about somebody right away that asked me about the money. How much does this pay? Well, why do you want to know how much this pays? Don't you want to know what the opportunity is? And Mm -hmm. then we can talk about the compensation. And that says a lot to me about the person. And that's sort of been a rule of thumb. And anybody that has worked on uh, my team, I'm pretty clear about that. And so people get enamored with money and they get enamored with brands and they're under the impression that there are no good companies that don't have very big brands out there. Some of the best opportunities for people are with companies that are not. I spoke to somebody who came out of, um, I don't know, let's say a housewares business that is a major producer for all the brands, this is a wonderful company with a great future, worth hundreds of millions of dollars and with what I call a very stable work environment, but it's not William Sonoma. So somebody is okay. going to be enamored with William Sonoma. If you call up and say, I have an opportunity right now with Serena and Lily, you know, somebody's going to be you know, jumping up and down saying, oh, wow, that's wonderful. Well, you don't know what it's like to work there. So a candidate has to understand, first of all, what the opportunity is. Secondly, try to do some investigation into the financial stability of the company. And then the other thing is during the interviewing process, if you're the CEO, then your concern is with the investor and the board. But if any level below that, you as an individual have to say, what am I going to learn here? I don't want to come into this company saying, I already wrote the book. I want to learn and I want to grow. You never stop learning, you never stop growing. I don't care if you're 30 years old or you're 65 years old. And that also enhances a culture. And that's what makes it difficult for somebody in my profession to go in and pull that person out and move them because, first of all, they love the culture, which we talked about the challenges with remote that's going to happen there, but they always feel they're learning something, they're accomplishing something. When somebody feels like they're only again, to use an old phrase, a cog in the wheel in a very, very large corporation that's very bureaucratic and it's very hard to get decisions made, get anything done. Those are the people that are always right for the picking uh, because they're not being fulfilled. And you can get recruited by one of those companies, but you have to find out what's going on inside and not immediately standing there go oh yes i want this job it's so wonderful you really have to do your homework and and ask a lot of questions in the most polite way because okay because somebody (laughs) oh i always tell candidates remember the person asking you the questions has got the bigger ego yeah (laughs) you don't want to ever challenge you want to ask them By the way, in business, what would, let's say, the two or three biggest challenges you had this year? Of course, the constant conversation right now is supply chain. But what are your other challenges in terms of growth? What would you do differently in some of the decision making? And try to get inside that person's head that's interviewing you when you're interviewing with the person that would be hiring you.
0: So when you're talking about polite questions and answers, I'd say the one that trips up most job candidates more than anything is when the recruiter or the HR director asks, "What's your current salary?"
1: They're not allowed to ask that,
0: but that doesn't mean that they won't. Oh, uh, right.
1: <laughs> yeah, no, we all we all do, but we, we phrase it say, "Would you like to share that?"
0: Yes. So do you say, I don't want to share it? Do you uh, inflate the number and lie? Do you give the honest answer or do you tap dance away from it?
1: (laughs) No, I I, I would say you give the honest answer. Ninety eight percent of the people when I phrase, would you like to share? You know, you don't have to. They all do. And um, you can't inflate it because there's almost some standards. If somebody's okay. at a VP level and telling me that they have a base salary of five hundred thousand, I said, "Really? I think I'd like that job."
0: <laughs> yeah, if you've been around long enough, you sort of you, you know, sort of know yeah you know yeah the rules of the road definitely. So we're almost uh, almost out of time. How are you feeling about the retail business in in twenty two and and the home business in twenty two right now? Both sectors have had great years uh, stymied, as you mentioned before, by supply chain, but they're doing great. What do you think
1: is going to happen next year? I think it will continue to do well for some of the reasons I mentioned. Um, remote has allowed people that, you know, the. I have such great respect for people in the retail world because the general population doesn't realize that it is, it is your calling. It is is your calling because it's a seven-day week, 52 weeks a year. That's the nature of the beast. So people that have done that don't have time to pay attention to their households. And so now that they don't have to run around so much because of COVID, they're looking around the house going, oh, I need a new kitchen. Oh, I need a new couch. That is going to continue. But the generation now that is about 10 years out of college are spending money on home and have a genuine interest in it. So that will continue as they make more money and have some excess cash to spend on their homes. I think Pinterest and facilities like that, that bring that piece of social media to you, is creating the sense that it's a little bit like they learn that from food. And I would give like the Martha Stewart's of the world credit of creating these luscious recipes with the pictures and the television and you want to do that now sometimes you want to do it vicariously because you're saying i'm not going to make that but boy i think i could do that (laughs) so pinterest does the same thing with homes so whether it's the outside, it's the garden, it's the, the, the wallpaper, they get you, not, for me, they get me 9 o'clock at night whether I want to or not, and you start flipping through it going, oh, maybe I can make a change. So as long as that you're constantly, I hate to say you sound like Pavlov's dog a little bit, you're getting that constant reinforcement, you're going to tend to to do that. I'm not saying the apparel folks and the shoe folks and the accessory folks don't do that, but it's happening in a more sophisticated and graduated way in home. I think the biggest issue with home is, is, is going to be accessibility. Okay. It can't just be one, that one-dimensional screen. I think uh, with Ballard, they opened up here in the South Park Mall. There's always people in there.
0: Yeah. And
1: it's not like we weren't buying from the magazine, but it's just so much more engaging to physically see it, and it's, yeah. it's, 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 it's outstanding. So I, I'm bullish on the, the home business, and I don't like to use the word retail. In some ways, I think I'd like to call it uh, consumer procurement. Consumer <laughs> procurement will continue on the rise. The only thing that will uh, stalemate it is if, if the inflationary prices get out of whack because they're, they're starting in the food sector to go up incredibly. And if that continues and the wages don't rise with it, th- then you're going to see a bit of a pullback. Um, but then that same consumer, if they were going to be buying at a Macy's or a Nordstrom um, or they were going to go into Ethan Allen or, you know, a Mitchell Gold, whatever, all right, they're going to start maybe buying uh, assembled furniture at Ikea or they're going to go into uh, a Target for accessories, you know, home goods. So I think the money will still be there. I think it'll just change in terms of where you you can afford to spend to get what you want.
0: I think that's a logical way to look at it. And um, I know I'm going to do my part to... to consumer procure whatever I can, <laughs> so uh, I'm uh, I'm I'm up for the task. Um, Elaine, thank you. Um, uh, I have a feeling your um, your phone and your email inbox is going to be very popular uh, after this air. So um, I hope you uh, put on some extra memory and some extra tape in your answering machine.
1: Warren, a- incredible! Um, you are uh, the true. Critical journalist in our industry, and it's been a pleasure to know you. Kind of you to say that. Thank you. Um, uh, stay well, and uh, we'll see
0: you out there uh, in person, hopefully soon. Okay. Take care. Warren. Thanks, Elaine. Bye. Bye-bye. Well, that's our show. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you heard, be sure to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. It helps others discover the show. And if you have a question or some feedback or complaints, shoot me a note. It's Retail Watch at businessofhome.com. And if you're interested in keeping up with the home industry in general, make sure to check out businessofhome.com. You'll find free newsletters, job postings, and more great podcasts. Retail Watch is produced by me, Warren Schulberg, and Fred Nikolaus. This episode was edited by Fred Nikolaus. Thanks again for listening and we'll see or hear you in 2 weeks.
1: Bye.